You're listening to the Authentic Leadership Podcast. Join Gabrielle Dolan as she interviews a range of prominent leaders about their experiences. Her guests share stories about challenges they have faced during their career, as well as important learning opportunities or moments of insight. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are encouraged to embrace authenticity and real communication. So welcome to this edition of Authentic Leadership Podcast, where I am excited to have my, this will be the second guest I've had who's been an ex-lawyer and moved into the food industry. So Martin Helfen, which it sort of sounds like helping, but it's not, and helping, but helping might be a good thing, is an ex-lawyer. So I'm going to ask him how we move from an ex-lawyer to the founder and CEO of the Fruit Box Group. So we'll get to find out all about that transition and what the Fruit Box Group do and an amazing charity um, that Martin's part of. So welcome, Martin, to the podcast. Very well. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, I want to start with a couple of questions so people get to know you a little bit better. So where did where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Melbourne, um, just uh, in the uh, southeastern suburbs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I've been a Melbourne boy for most of my life. I've, I've, I've lived interstate a little bit over the journey, but uh, predominantly Melbourne. And were you from a big family or what was your family structure like? Uh, I was one of three boys. I was the middle and, uh, yeah, had a great, uh, great uh, childhood, you know, very close with my brothers. Um didn't have a, a big extended family. Both both my parents um, uh, didn't have that many siblings. So, yeah, we uh, were really just uh, the five of us mainly. And you, you don't have any issues being the middle child? No. Well, sort of I'm not really a middle child because my younger brother's about eight years younger. So uh, it was my older brother who was a couple of years older than me and we were very close. And then I, I think I had already... You know, got to a certain age where I didn't suffer from that that middle that middle child syndrome. So yeah, and, and I had then eight, to both worlds. Yeah, and eight years later, another one came across. I bet you he's spoiled. Been eight year gap. Yeah, well, he's yeah he's he's a bit older now, but yeah, he's, he was always <laughs> a bit spoiled. <laughs> and what was your first job? How old were you when you got your first job, and what did you do? Uh, my first my first part time job um, was when I was uh, I think just after school. I remember uh, m- myself and a friend of mine, um, we got a job at the reject shop and uh, they told us that we would be spruiking. And I- I'll be honest with you, I-, I didn't even know what spruiking was. And uh, I found that my first job, I was out outside Swanson Street with a microphone, basically telling people to come inside and telling them all things about the, uh, about the, about the, all the stock that they were selling. And I remember talking about Manchester and I didn't even know what Manchester was at the time. So that was my first part-time job. But my first real job was uh, as a commercial lawyer. Um, I, you know, I sort of studied at Monash University and um, yeah, became a commercial lawyer in my early 20s. Right. So first of all, how old were you? Were you doing that spruiking of Manchester at the reject shop? How yeah, old were you? I think I was about uh, 18 or 19. Oh, okay. I, I have these images of a 14-year-old kid talking about Manchester. 
Yeah, I mean, we were just given a microphone and just told, uh, try and uh, say what you need to say to get people, you know, into the store. And that was uh, just before Christmas. So you can imagine what Swanston Street was like, you know, you know pre-Christmas with people just shopping and you're just given a microphone. Did you have a bit of fun with it? Did you, like, just try out different material? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you could say anything and uh, people would sort of just, you know, respond. But it, it was, you know, you, and you're repeating yourself. You know, you, what you would do is you would probably work out a one to two minute sort of reel and then you would just repeat yourself. And then, I mean, doing that for, you know, a few hours at a time, uh, you needed to sort of uh, spice it up a bit and you could just talk about anything and, and nobody really cared what you were talking about. Yeah, no one was probably listening to you anyway. So. No, no. Okay, so you became a commercial lawyer. Yep. And so tell us how you went from being a commercial lawyer to starting up a company that delivers fruit. How did that happen? Yeah, it was probably about a seven-year journey. I um, I started off as a lawyer, um, and um, it was very it was very obvious very quickly that it wasn't for me. Um, there were just things that it was just in the wrong environment. Um, I did persevere with it for three different jobs, um, you know, for three years, and and all all the practices that I worked for were very very enthusiastic and really invested a lot of time for me to make the right decision, you know, whether that was the right profession for me for the for the long term. After um, my third strike, it was time to move on. And I just took an operations job for a cycling company. And I was really successful with that. And um, in that job, I learned a lot about operations and warehousing and logistics and procurement. And I really felt, you know, quite energetic and alive of what I was doing. And I, I had great teachers. I was working, you know, um, for very entrepreneurial people. And um, eventually when my time came in that industry, um, you know, I'd reached uh, my, you know, my late 20s or early 30s. And um, I really had a, a, a want to sort of do my own business. Uh, I, I was brought up in a home where my dad was a businessman and we were very similar. And I felt that that was the right time. So... Uh, what happened is I was looking for a business that had a couple of vans and um, was very much logistics based. And I bought a very small suburban home delivery business called The Fruit Box. And that was in 2000. And it had a whole lot of um, home delivery uh, customers in the southeastern bayside suburbs of Melbourne. And what happened is within that first year, we changed the, you know, changed the offering to start supplying corporates. And that's where it started. I'd imagine you would have seen some significant growth when you changed to delivering to corporates, did you? Well, you know, when you look back, I mean, it started from nothing. I mean, we uh, in 2001 was the first corporate delivery. And, you know, in 20 years later, we're doing 35,000 deliveries. So it sounds like a big spike, but it was something that really, you know, was growing year on year. And, um, you know, whilst you felt like you were part of something that was growing. Um, it never felt like it just went from you know, zero to hero in, 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 one, in one year. It's something that has always been growing. 
obviously we're challenged by um, the uh, the pandemic currently, but you know, we've really experienced 20 years of, of, of growth year on year. Mm, yeah, I was going to ask you, clearly with, you know, people not being in the office and, you know, that corporate environment not being there, that you must have uh, seen a significant hit in the last 18 months. Yeah, it's like, it's very interesting. I mean, um, we, we, we've obviously been very challenged by what's happening because the clear directive in lockdown is uh, you know, don't go to the office unless you have to. So we we have a business that's you know solely servicing offices and workplaces throughout Australia, and um, <clears throat> you know we're you know we, we we're, we're severely sort of um, impacted by it. But you know the way in which I look at it is when we first started, you know in two th- in the early two thousands, a lot of people don't remember, but it was very much about being employer of choice and what perks can we give to staff and we really rode off you know the back of that sort of that 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 um you know that era and um you know we've been in business for 2021 years it's been 2021 years of uh great you know momentum and if you have one or two years where it's a little bit difficult I think you're still, you're still okay. You know, it's it's part and parcel. You just got to roll with the punches. Yeah, Martin. When in two thousand and one, I was I was still in corporate, so I used to work at National Australia Bank in you know corporate head office, and there was always a joke, and I'm sure it just wasn't NAB that did this. It was like you, you knew things were going well when the fruit box kept coming. <laughs> Um, and and the biscuits were chocolate coated, and it was sort of like there was this there was this joke that you're going, you know, restructures are on the way when the fruit stops being delivered, and the chocolate biscuits are just you know savoys. Or, <laughs> like, so yeah, I could imagine um, when when things were going really well in corporate, and there was you know the financially secure, and they're trying to do employee of choice. A lot of these things came in, but sometimes then they're the first things to go as well or maybe that's very interesting i mean we went through the the global financial crisis and in that um in that period everybody was we were a bit worried that uh uh you know fruits a discretionary item but it actually held up and usually when 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 things are going when things are a bit tough even during the pandemic if people are in the office one of the things they value is fruit and they and they stick with it. So it's, really, mm. it's been a very interesting um, experience there. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. So, who would you say has been the biggest uh, influence on you when you were growing up, or perhaps you know in your early career? You've you've already mentioned your dad because he had a business, but was there anyone else, or, or perhaps it is your dad? Uh, and talk a bit more about that. I would say that um, you know my family's you know, you know first of all the family I grew up with, and and now the family I've uh, you know. My wife and I have, you know, clearly been the biggest influences for me. Um, but I, I, I'd say that my father was a major influence. My late father, he, he, he passed away nearly 10 years ago. We were very close, very similar, came from a business background. He was really good with people. Um, and, um, you know, he just, you know, he, he would just have gems, natural gems that he would reel off all the time. Um, that sort of walk alongside of you every day of your life. Um, you know, when I first started at work, he had gone through that journey. And, um, you know, it's always very positive, always um, very optimistic. He called it always very, very well. And I think that what happens, you, you can, 
you, know, you, you can be fortunate to have that in your life. But when you have that day in, day out, it really rubs off, rubs off on you in an amazing way as you get a lot older. And, um, you know, whilst he's not here and hasn't been, you know, had passed away, you know, some time ago, you know, I do feel that, you know, he really is a part of me and, 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 and I can hear his voice, you know, all the time when I'm confronted with, you know, different challenging situations. Mm, well, what a legacy to leave there. So um, on those challenging situations, what, what, what would you say has one been one of your biggest challenges you've had to face in your career? I would say probably the two obvious ones is um, when I started the fruit box. Um, the fruit box, it wasn't easy. Uh, it took seven years to really become cash flow positive. Uh, and, and, and the first three or four years were very difficult. Um, did, did you but, have times when you seriously thought, like, oh, what have I done? Or Well, not, not what have I done, but, you know, what am I going to do? I, yep. I, I, like I, I felt like, um, you know, you, you feel like you're putting a lot of effort in and um, it's not, you know, you're not rewarded with, you know, positive sort of data telling you that you're on the right track. And it's that unknown that really is quite unsettling. Um, so I, I suppose that was a big challenge at the beginning and, you know, in hindsight, speaking to a lot of people and, and listening to a lot of people's uh, experiences is that, you know, that, that cash flow sort of journey at the beginning of the business is very common and, you know, a lot of people don't make it. So that was very difficult. Mm. I love uh, Martin. I want to the fact that you said your dad taught you positivity. I love that you said no. The challenge wasn't what have I done. The challenge is what am I going to do. I was like, yeah. talk about that as a, you know, just a positive approach to something. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose you can't you can't get too sort of caught up in the past. I mean, you're just dealing with the present. So, um, yeah, that was you know that was really tough. Um, but I, I have to say, it was also what defined the business's latest success. And I'd say that right now, um, you know, not to say much from a business perspective, but, you know, I'm I'm a lot more mature now. I'm a lot older. You know, I recently turned 50. And I just think as somebody that's had a business for a long time and, um, you know, I have connected with a lot of different people and the environment, you know, how uncertain it is out there. I think that there's just so many different issues um, evolving and challenges that you need to, you know, you, you're confronting on a day-to-day basis. It's, mm. it's, I think it's really tough. Yeah. Um, so, you know, talking about biggest challenges, what, what's been some highlights? What's been one of the biggest highlights of your career? Uh, I'll put it down to three. I, I think, um, you know, from, from nothing, creating a national brand that um, a lot of people recognise throughout Australia um, that's been obviously a very big feather in the cap. Um, part of the fruit box um, last four years, we were part of a social initiative um, that created the one box, which is which has become a registered charity, and that's um, gaining a lot of momentum. That's also a national um, organisation that's delivering um, uh, weekly uh, produce to families in need. So that's been, you know, a really um, big achievement. And probably the third thing which sort of spills over or, you know, is, is, is being involved with the people that I have for the last 20 years. Um, 
you know, when I started the fruit box, there was only one other. And, um, you know, that, that business has grown to 300. But along the way, I mean, we've had a lot of people and I would say that a good, you know, 10% of those people have been with me for 10, 15 years plus. And just the amount of experiences, the amount of um, things that we've shared and the friendships um, and the camaraderie and the cohesiveness, you know, you just can't beat that. Mm. Tell tell us more about the the one box. So what's that? That's a that's a charity that donates, like I guess, food fruit boxes or food boxes. So t- t- spend a couple of minutes telling us about that, and and even if people can get involved or sponsor it, or or how does it work? Yeah, it's, uh, look, it's been interesting. I mean, we're 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 basically the fruit box, which is a corporate delivery business. A lot of customers um, over over the years have increasingly asked, "What's your corporate social responsibility and I think that about five years ago we really sat down and thought what are we doing as an organisation that's connecting with the community so we set up a program um, in 2017 where we were delivering it was a pilot program at the time delivering weekly boxes of fruit vegetables milk and bread to families in need and um, it really started from there it developed a little bit of interest by 2019, because we had been approached for donations, we set up a registered charity. Um, and now the One Box in 2022, because we we forward plan, we'll be in a position to be um, delivering um, boxes each week to at least two and a half thousand families in need throughout Australia, and it will equate to over a hundred thousand boxes. So it's um it's a way of giving back. And the way in which we've set it up um, is really so it is scalable um, in the future. And it's, it's really just leveraging off the IP and infrastructure, which the fruit box has developed over 20 years and gifting it to the community in the form of um, the one box. Oh, excellent. That, oh, that sounds an amazing initiative. So well done. Thank you on behalf of all the people that received that. Um so, th- so this podcast, I guess, is around authentic leadership, and we, we do we clearly cover other stuff. But how has your leadership changed over your career, or, e- or even thinking about you know when you're a lawyer and where you are now? Like, how has it evolved, and what do you do differently and stuff? Well, I was very green. I mean, I, you know, in my early twenties, and, and 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 lacked a lot of self esteem. I think that probably at that point in time, um, I think a lot of you know, if I had any leadership style that was one of, you know, do as I do, don't do as I say. Then I think when I started the fruit box group and, and you automatically assume a position of leadership because you're you know, you're the one running it. Um, I think my leadership style was very instinctive. Um, I, I I didn't really sort of, you know, go by any rule book. It was, it was basically just... A feeling in your in your stomach, and you and you go with it, and it's very passionate, um, and and a lot of times it's quite impatient, but you know because it comes from a good place, a lot of the times it does work for you, but you know sometimes when you're instinctive and passionate, you can overdo it, and it sometimes blows up in your face. But I think that twenty years later, my leadership style, it's still got you know, a little bit of passion in it. Um, but I think it's more experience-based. I think that most situations that I'm in, I feel like I've been there before and um, I feel like there is more of a rule book that I go by 
um, you know, particularly of what's worked for me in the past. And I think that, you know, because, you know, you've been connecting, pe connecting with people for such a long period of time, you know, everything does look a little bit familiar, even though it might be a new situation. So I think that's how my leadership style has changed over the last 20 years. Yeah, matured over time. One of the, one of the benefits of turning 50. <laughs> There's not many benefits of getting older, but, you know, some we, we hope some maturity or wisdom is part of it. Um, have, have there, there must have been times when you felt that your, like your, your values, I guess, when we talk about authenticity was challenged. Has there been times, and maybe this is going back to your, when you're a lawyer and perhaps why you, why you left the industry, but have you had times where you've had your values challenged and what did you do about it? Yeah, I think that, I mean, you know, over a long period of time, I mean, you always come up with situations that are not ideal. Um, and, and, and periods like, you know, you're currently going through um, with you know, a global pandemic and then it was a global financial crisis. There was, you know, the times when you're starting up your business and, you know, it was very hard to make ends meet. And a lot of the times you, you sort of ask yourself, you know, what do I do about it? And, and there's always obvious short-term things that you can do about it. Um, and the obvious one is, is, you know, stand people down or, um, you know, or reduce, you know, reduce the level of um, um, investment that you're having in your business. And I think you always go back to um, this is just a phase in time. Um, you know, short-term decisions, you know, sometimes can only be satisfactory, you know, for the short term. And where, where you go back to is culture. And I, I think when you're in a business, building and setting up a culture is a very long-term thing and you only really get one crack at it. And um, in the end, I think that uh, the, the, the sort of the, the issues that you've confronted with, whether you go or the fork in the road, do I go with a short-term decision or do I sort of back in the culture because it's really that culture that, has served me well in the past and will serve me well in the future, that's where all sort of, you know, that's probably been the common theme. Mm. I just think it's very important, you know, I, you know, when I talk to people is that really you can, you can really lose your culture in one poor decision. And um, it's very important that you keep that culture and you're true to it and, you, you know, you, you, you are... You, you never sort of um, sabotage, not sabotage, but really risk sort of losing it because, you know, there's not many businesses out there that have been around for a long time, long term time that don't probably have a good culture. I think that good businesses are built on good cultures. Yeah, I, I actually love your comment that you said you only get one crack at culture because, you know, and I know from, well, experience spending 35 years in work, working in or with corporates is that it's it's a lot easier to set up a culture from the start than to change it changing a culture and, and whether that's a culture of the whole organization or it's just a culture of your team leadership team um, 
it's it's very it's easier to set it up straight from the start. And I and I also agree with you too that sometimes it's only when things are going wrong that the culture is tested, that our values are really tested, and that's make that those decisions you make under pressure can be the ones that really keep your culture going. Or people go, hmm, they talked about this, but when push push come to shove, they weren't they weren't around. So um, yeah, that's it's a very you know, culture, whether it's personal integrity, they're very long-term words. And what happens is that, you know, it's something you need to sort of nurture day in, day out and never forget it um, and never sort of uh, put yourself in a position where you can lose it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it is. It, it's never forget it. And it is nurturing it day in and day out. It's, it's something you've got to really focus on. Hey, clearly you're passionate. <laughs> Clearly, you love what you do. So, tell me what you love about your job at the moment. Oh, what I love about my job, um, I, I definitely love the people, which I've sort of um, um, spoke about. I mean, I do, I do like um, being in a position where you're backed against the wall a little bit. Um, I, you know, we we're obviously in in a whole new, you know, there's a whole new ball game going out there where you sort of. You know, which is evolving day in day out. I think that that, whilst it's not ideal, at the same time it does sort of, um, it does sort of uh, get those creative juices, you know, out of you and sort of how are you sort of going to work it through. I I don't mind that challenge. It's sort of like a jigsaw puzzle. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I just love being around the people that I've been working with for such a long period of time making sure that we steer the ship, you know, during this challenging time. And, and the charity's been amazing. Um, you know, that's going from strength to strength and, um, and, and, and really doing something that's serving the community, uh, you know, well beyond, uh, you know, the fruit box group is, is something that's, uh, you know, I really enjoy. Excellent. Cool. And we'll put we'll put links at the end of this program to the charity if you know people want to find out more about it. Um, we've talked about the challenges and, and clearly when we're talking about challenges at the moment, um, you know, the pandemic comes up all the time. But what's uh, what's been the silver lining for you and, and uh, with with the pandemic? And, and maybe if you could answer it on a professional level and then on a personal level for you, what's what's been a silver lining? Well, I. I think going back to that culture is the, the loyalty that um, your key people show you um, during a time where, you know, the back needs to stiffen up a bit. That's been a silver lining um, and that reciprocal loyalty has been fantastic. But, you know, just being a general citizen, um, you know, the silver lining is, you know, I see a lot of people on the battlefield you know, I see a lot of people at the front line and just the amount of humility out there, you know, of people that are clearly struggling is something that inspires me, you know, not so much to have a, you know, a great business, but really sort of to do something to continue connecting with the community and doing what I can, you know, to sort of help out because I've been very lucky and um, fortunate in business. Um, but I... You know, a lot of, a lot of all, you know, all of us, you know, we're sort of subjected to a lot of press conferences, and um, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily see the people out there that are really doing the work and really sort of been impacted severely by what's happening out there. Um, 
but you know I, I think that the amount of um, you know genuine sort of um, humility amongst amongst uh, you know those group of people is something that has really I wouldn't call it a silver lining but it's definitely imp- had an amazing impression on me mm, yeah nice nice um okay so on a lighter note when you're not at work what's 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 one thing you love doing when you're not when you're not doing anything related with work what do you love um i love daydreaming yeah nice i really do i sort of um i like sort of giving myself a bit of space and not you know reading a book or not listening you know to you know, not listening to the radio or, and I just like sort of sitting down and sort of, you know, being alone with my thoughts and really sort of just daydreaming and just, uh, I think I, I find it actually quite therapeutic, uh, very relaxing, sometimes quite uh, entertaining. Um, but no, I, I like that. And apart from that, I just love spending time. I've got four kids and, uh, you know, and you know, and you know, with my wife, and we have a lot of fun, you know, amongst our families. And I, you know, doing a little bit of sport as well has been, you know, they're the sort of things that I like really doing. Yeah, I, I love I love the fact that you give yourself permission to daydream. I think one of the most um, overrated things is busy, where people go busy, busy, then they wear busy as a badge of honour um, and giving yourself time to daydream. My other question is how the hell do you find time to daydream with four kids? But it's like... there's different ways of, there's different secrets. Like uh, people sort of stay away from the dishes, but I love doing the dishes because you sort of uh, just able to daydream while you're doing the dishes, you know. Ah. There's, there's little tricks. You know, there's you, little tricks. Every, everyone thinks you're helping out, but you're finding the time to daydream. Uh, how, hey, how old are your kids? Oh, they're they're older now. I've got one who's uh, nearly 21. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got 18, 16, 14. Yeah. Three okay. girls, three girls, and the last one's a boy. Ah, okay, nice. Um, if you could change one thing about you, what would it be? And you can't say nothing. That's the, that's the only rule I have. You can't say nothing. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, probably we mentioned some of the challenges that you face in this environment. I think that the general energy out there, you know, can be a little bit oppressive, oppressive and uh, you can lose motivation. Um, and I, I, I sort of, particularly over the last 12 to 18 months, I'm generally somebody that does have positive energy and I like sort of doing things. But I've felt that, um, you know, with all this sort of new information to process, um, it has been a bit difficult to be as motivated as I was. Um, and I think when you lose a bit of motivation, you lose a bit of ambition. And when I started, you know, my business journey, um, I was incredibly ambitious and, um, you know, I just was just there and just ready to do anything at any time. And whilst I don't want to sort of go back to that, I I think that I've lost a bit um, in this current environment and there is more that you can do, particularly when you've got a, you know, you've got quite a successful charity that's, the gathering momentum and I feel that, that I could do more so if I had to be you know f- honest um I need to sort of get that you know that 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 spark back as much as I had 
Mm. Um, I, I think you're being hard on yourself, Martin. Well, no, I, I think I, I think a lot of people you feel. I mean, I, I must admit, I'm even. I'm, I'm. I would say I'm pretty much like you. Always going. What can we do next? What can we do? What can we do? Um, and recently, I'm just thinking. You know what? Just just get through the year. Don't like it. And and you know, part of part of me might go. Well, that's that's actually a pretty reasonable approach to it because we're you know we're going through times we haven't been through before but um i i, I know i know where you're getting at i know where yeah, you're getting I, at. I just think that it, I, I i always feel comforted when i'm speaking to someone and and they know what you're going through and i just feel that you know with people that would listen you know to this podcast if they can hear somebody basically saying something and they say oh yeah you know what that that makes sense to me i'm actually i find that quite comfort you know they'll I find that quite comforting. Mm. And I think that, you know, at, at this time we need as much unity as possible because there are so many different ways to interpret, you know, what's going on out there. And if you actually are able to identify with other people that really understand what you're going through, I think that united sort of um, comfort is something that's really valuable. Yeah, it is one of the first time we are, even though we handle things differently, it's something that we're all going through, everyone's going through. And it's, um, yeah, you can get some comfort in knowing, you know, other people feeling the same way. Yeah, and I think that the leaders that we have, I mean, that, that, that connection and that empathy would really serve them well. Because, again, you know, you, you're dealing with a very tough and challenging time where there's a lot of angst out there. And, you know, if you're able to sort of bring it in all together because people can identify what they're going through as a group, I think it's I think it's very powerful. I think you can really achieve a lot more if you were to do that. Mm. Hey, um Sorry, I love so dark. No, 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 that's all right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to lighten it up. Don't you worry about that, Martin. Don't you worry about that. We're, we're in the home stretch where it becomes very, very light. Um, favourite quote. Do you have one? If yes. so, what it is. Okay, go, go for it. Tell me what your favourite quote um, is. When I was struggling at the early times of my business, my father always used to say, enjoy the struggle because they're the best years of your life. Oh, that is good. I love that. I love that your favourite quote's from your dad. Yeah, I love that. And if I, from somebody famous, my other, fam- uh, my other favourite quote is in Les Mis where... At the end of uh, the musical, uh, the lead character, Jean Valjean, says, um, to love another person is to see the face of God. I like that. Ah, nice. Well, they're two two very different ones. Yeah. So and enjoy the struggle. could be the time of your life. Gee, your dad would be having the time of his life through COVID <laughs> if, he <was> still, <laughs> if he was still with us. Um, do – I'm – I'm a bit of a, a fan of the less jargon, the better. Do you have a corporate jargon phrase? You you, you might not use corporate jargon being, you know, out of corporate sort of corporate or, itself. Or, or say one that I like or one that I don't like. One you don't like. As in one, if you could just ban it, people uh, saying it, you would do the it. The customer's always right. Ban oh, yeah. That is, who said that? The customer's well, always right. Just, I, like, I think the problem with that is it's, very, very, it's like you're, you've got a duty, you know, whilst you don't really, you know, genuinely believe it, you feel like you have to sort of honour it. 
And I think it should be a bit more proactive in the just say, love your customer. I mean, yeah. if it comes from a place of love, you'll do anything possible to sort of serve serve the customer where, you know, and it's the customer that gives you the privilege to have the business in the first place. And I think that if it comes from a much more proactive sort of uh, um, point, I think um, the chances are you will better serve the customer and you'll better serve your business and everybody wins. Mm, yeah, and too, I think sometimes the customer is always right is, you know, almost sometimes you're prioritising them over your employees. And, Absolutely. you know, when, you know, if you, like the old thing, if you look after your employees, they'll look after your customers. So, so on that, did you have a jargon phrase you love? Like were you going to go with one you love? Oh, well, I don't know. I, I think the cut, I mean, probably take, taking the flip side, maybe, um, the you know, the customer is your learning opportunity. Um, right, okay. You know, so whether it's good or bad, you can always learn something from it. And um, I think those learnings are, the, are really the building blocks of, of developing your business. And I, I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, in the early days of the fruit box, we kept on getting told by our customers, why don't you do milk? Why don't you do milk? And I think after two or three years, I mean, we the penny dropped and we thought, okay, we better do milk. And Milk's become the biggest part of our business. So, you know, you've always got to listen to your customers. <laughs> Maybe the customer is always right. <laughs> well, definitely. definitely listen to them. you got to listen to them. I agree. Okay, Martin, this has been fun and enlightening. What yep. I want to finish with quick, quick fire three questions to finish it off with you. Okay? What's the one meal you love cooking? Anything that the kids will eat. <laughs> <laughs> If I had to sort of put it down, um, I'm, I love making great salads. You know, all these, and then basically putting, you know, then sort of designing a menu that goes around the salad. So, oh, well, that, well, that makes sense with what you do. I was going to say, I know, I know, I just said this is quick three five questions, but now I'm making them drag out. But with four kids, I, I have got two daughters and a husband, and just getting consensus on what to cook for dinner where it would be like, what's for dinner? What do you want for dinner? And I put it out there and everyone has to make a suggestion. And then someone will go, oh, it's not my favourite. And I'm going, it doesn't have to be your favourite <laughs> every time. It's like, how do you get consensus cooking for four kids? Oh, you, well, that's it. I mean, I think that when you, um, you sort of, you really, you dig deep, I mean, putting a meal on the table that everybody eats and everybody enjoys. Um, and we've got a, you know, we've got a few that I do, but, uh, yeah, my wife's also an amazing cook. So, um, yeah, my kids, uh, they're pretty good, but they can be brutal if they don't like what's you know, put, put in front of them. It's true. What's your favourite 80s song or artist? Oh, well, I love Crane. I love Crane. And um, I love George Michael. Uh, my favourite Queen song was probably Don't Stop Me Now. And uh, George Michael, I love the Wham rap. And yeah. I just, those songs are just pure, you know, pure energy and just an enormous amount of joy. And, uh, yeah, I just love, I just love those songs. And, and they're the, they're the place that you sort of always want to be. Yeah. You know, that yeah. mindset. You just always want to be there. 
Yeah, I reckon I reckon Don't Stop Me Now is one of my favourite Queen songs as well. Um, finally, final question. If you could give one piece of advice to your 20-year-old self, what would it be? Oh, I would say in those early days I was incredibly impatient and I think that um, really sort of made my... Uh, it made me very unsettled, particularly when I wasn't getting the results that I had. So I would say it's always good to be restless in your mind and your thoughts, but it's as important to be patient with your execution. Look, there's a little quote of your own. Thank you. (laughs) Might be great. Love that. Love that. Martin, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Such really good insights and advice and well done on the charity. Like I said, we'll put all the links in the thing so people can find out more about how they get their fruit box and maybe how they support the one box. But thank you for being part of it. Thanks, Raelle. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Authentic Leadership Podcast. We welcome your suggestions for leaders you would like to hear from in future episodes.